This is Ramsey Salty, the show is Arabology. I have been absent for the past two weeks, and I must say a huge, huge shukran thank you and merci to Bravo Marco for subbing for me. In the meantime, I am back. It is March 3rd, 1 p.m. right here at KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. And I'm bringing you, well, as usual, on the Arabology show, some music from the Arab-speaking world and also some amazing interviews today, including two people you really want to get to know. One of them is uh, Najib uh, Joe Hakim, a photographer in the Bay Area who has an exhibit going on. We'll be talking about that. And all the way from Jordan via England, it's going to be Jude Shwehan. And I'll be speaking to her if you don't know who she is. Think the Jordanian Oprah. And then one very special treat, students of Arabic at Stanford, year one, have kindly agreed to record themselves for us. Those are my students, by the way. And uh, they'll be reading some uh, or reciting some Arabic that they've learned. And then they'll be translating it into English. So if you want to really get your socks knocked off, you better stay tuned to the Herbology Show coming to you from KZSU Stanford 90.1. FM.
That was, well, a song called Super Strength by Generation Best. And, uh, well, this is uh, sort of an amazing CD there. It's uh, the Cairo Liberation Front Remix Collection Volume 1. And if you want to know what that CD is about, well, if you can imagine the Stone Roses on a psychedelic trip somewhere in Cairo via the Netherlands, Brazil, Greece, and Sudan, then it'll provide you with a snapshot of the sound of the new Cairo Liberation front. This is an EP, of course, and it's available online if you're interested. In addition to the psychedelic indie rock electro shabby fusion, you will also get hip-hop and funk, so you can't go wrong there. What a way to begin the Arabology show for today. Though when we come back after this very short break, I'm going to respond to uh, my amazing listeners who have been sort of suggesting that I have been sort of overemphasizing music from the Levant, meaning from like Syria and Jordan. And, you know, so basically what I'm going to do today is take you on a trip. And that is a trip to North Africa. We'll be going to Algeria. We'll be going to Morocco and we'll be going to Tunis. Yes, all in North Africa and all Arabic speaking countries with amazing musicians right after the break. When you help the Make-A-Wish Foundation grant wishes for children with life-threatening illnesses, you give them hope, strength and joy. You might also change your life in the process. To find out about volunteer opportunities, to donate, or to refer a child for a wish, please visit www.wish.org. That's www.wish.org. As promised, ladies and gentlemen, the next leg of our journey is a North African one. Here we go. We're going to hear some Gnewa. We're going to hear some amazing sort of world music that comes from Morocco and Algeria. We're going to hear actually a song that you all know in English, sung in uh, an Arabic style and more specifically in an Algerian style. You'll be listening to uh, amazing singers from North Africa that are known, some that are more experimental and everyone in between. So let's launch. Launch off and uh, take the next leg of our journey here to North Africa. This is your captain speaking. We will now begin our ascent to 90.1 FM. Flight attendants, prepare the cabin for liftoff. Seat backs and tray tables in their upright and locked position. In-Flight Entertainment, brought to you by KZSU. The latest charts. The dopest music reviews. And the illest DJ playlists. All available to you at zookeeper.stanford.edu. You are now free to move about the cabin.
مرميه تبرات صاح البيت والقلوب المنسيه بالمشوار الخلويه والغام شابيه حليت ليليا غير حليت عينيا بديت نتسرسف ونسايس في الحيهيه وعلى محالي على محالي على محالي
الحان ما يجيب لك خبر واللي ما عرف قيمتك يا فلان يشويك على الجمر سقيت وتالت للأخوة قلت له ما زال كاين رجال ما زال نزرع المحبا وما زال عباد النور والفال سقيت وتالت للأخوة قلت له ما زال كاين رجال ما زال نزرع المحبا وما زال عباد النور والفال خمسادس وطيري شربتهم في منامي وانا يا الروم بدا يحلالي جدبنا على شي نغمه قناوي الكاس الرابع خمسادس وطيري شربتهم في منامي وانا يا الروم بدا يحلالي جدبنا على شي نغمه قناوي عقلي تقال وبدا يدور انت للمشدوب في الحضره كي يجي الملك يزور ويقطع له الهدرار قاس حلف لا يدور والقعده عاد تهانيه بالجاوي والفخور ودفنت همومي في تانياش طلع ريح نزل بلاد سرقتو داري مع شي ايبال ياك الجبال لا يتلاقاو الدنيا كلشي فاني اش طلع ريح نزل بلاد سرقتو داري مع شي ايبال نتمنى النهار نلعب مزمار
بيك تكون رواية احكي لي على ناس زمان احكي لي على ألف ليلة وليلة وعلى لون جبنت الغولة وعلى وليد السلطان the one and only Suad Massey, a beautiful, beautiful Algerian singer, songwriter, and guitarist. She began her career performing in the Kabile political rock band Atakor before leaving the country following a series of death threats. In 1999, Suad Massey performed at the Femme d'Algérie concert in Paris, which led to a recording contract with Island Records. The song you just heard was called Drau, 
Rawi. Rawi is a well storyteller, and uh, that sort of is her signature song. It launched her into superstardom, I will say, in terms of the Indian international music scene. Before that, you heard uh, the one and only Khalid. Well, he used to be called Sheb Khalid. He's now simply called Khalid, I guess, because he's getting old and Sheb means young. He's uh, he's truly a master, and uh, the song we heard by him is called Bab al-Jannah, which translates as Gates of Heaven. His, now, to tell you a little bit about Khalid, it was taken from his album C'est La Vie, and uh, Khalid's real name is Khalid Hajj Ibrahim. He's better known as Khalid. An Algerian Rai singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist. He's been around for decades. He's a master of his craft. Uh, before him, well, another giant in terms of North African Arabic music, and that was Rashid Taha. You heard it right. It was actually the Arabic version of a song you may well know, It's Now or Never. It was called It's Now or Never, and it's by Rashid Taha, joined by Jean Ad. Uh, Rashid Taha, of course, is an Algerian singer and activist who is based uh, or is based in France. He's been described as sonically adventurous. His music is influenced by many styles, such as rock and electronica and punk and, of course, rye. Before him, well, that was Tunisia, and uh, the group was called La Basse. The song was called El Cas Yadour, and the track was from the album Identité. Now, let me tell you, La Basse, they are just this amazing group. They're truly international in nature, and but they sing in terms of um, rumba, gitan, and flamenco. They mix that with gnawe and shabi and traditional music of North Africa. And uh, before that, uh, we started off the show, of course, with the Gnawa Diffusion, or in English, Gnawa Diffusion. The song was Yalaime. And let me tell you, Gnawa Diffusion is an Algerian band based in Grenoble in France. The group's uh, lead singer, whose name is Amazig, is the son of an Algerian writer and uh, well-known poet whose name is Katib Yassine. Although uh, the, the group has sort of a very strong Nawa influence, the band is noted for its mix of reggae and roots music. The band's lyrics are always in Arabic and Tamazight, French and English. So there we go and we call them Nawa Diffusion. It is for a reason. Ladies and gentlemen, it is 1.37 p.m. right here at KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. I am your DJ Ramsey. The show is Arabology. And when we come back after the break, you really don't want to miss this. It's a recording that, well, is very recent by some Stanford students who kindly agreed to be recorded. Now, what's the big deal about that? They'll be speaking Arabic. Do you have questions about three-day notices, 30-day notices, unlawful detainers, security deposits, repairs, habitability, lockouts, or rental agreements? Do you have other concerns about your housing rights? If you live in San Jose, call the Legal Aid Society of Santa Clara County at 408-283-1540 for free legal assistance. That's the Legal Aid Society of Santa Clara County at 408 283 Five four zero.
I'm in the first year Arabic class right here at Stanford, which is probably one of the best groups I have had in 16 years of academic service. Each student in year one Arabic, after barely a quarter and a half of learning Arabic, will be reading a sentence in Arabic and translating it. The student will begin by introducing themselves in Arabic and reading their sentence. Marhaba, ismi Christy. Kuntu fi nafsal fusul ma Ali wa Muna fi al madrasa al ibtidaiya wal ayadadiya. I was in the same class with Ali and Mona in elementary school and junior high. Marhaba, it's me Aisha. La Arif Mata Sayasafarun Wali Dalek Saatikalam Mohum Li Arif Tarikh Asafir. So I don't know I don't know when they are leaving, therefore I will talk to them to find out the travel plans. Marhaba, um Ismi Alida. Hua Falan Majnoon. Andi hu imtihan kabir bai ruspua wa hua la yadrus wa yala. He's really crazy. He has a big test next week and he isn't studying and he's playing and watching TV. Marhaba, it's me Peyton. Kenneth Zaujat Ami, Rahima Ha'Allah, Imra'a Tuheb Al Haya, Wanas Wasafar. She was the wife of my uncle, God rest her soul, a woman who liked life, people, and travel. Marhaba, it's me Jacob. Jadatim Marida Jadan. Wahia fi al Mustashfa Mundu Usbain means my grandmother is very sick and she has been in the hospital for two weeks. Marhaba Ana Ismi Aitran Tarahashtu Min El Jamia Mundu Sana Walan Adrus Li Ibdihan Wizarat El Harajia El Amarikia. I graduated from college one year ago and today I study for the tests of the Ministry of American Foreign Affairs. Marhaba Anna Rachel, Lubnan Balad Salir, Walakan Hawadeth Asayarat Fiha Kathira Jiddan. Lebanon is a small country, but car accidents happen there frequently. Marhaba, Anna Ismi Bayan. Fi Mintakatuna Maktaba Amma Muntaza Nadrus Fiha Ahyanan. In our region, the excellent public library uh, is where we study sometimes. Marhaba, Ismi Yusuf. Hadihi Surat Li Anna was Zumalai, where Usat. Uh, the picture of me, my classes, classmates, and my teachers is in the first year of secondary school in Taufikia Secondary School. Marhaba Yatulab, Ana Ismi Derek, Bint Amati Rana, Muida Wa Taliba, Fi Asana El Ula, Fi Barnamej Adaktura, Fi Kuliat Idaret El Amer. Rana is a, a teaching assistant and also a student in the School of Business Administration. Mumtaz, Shukran, perfect. Shukran.
بلاتي برا وتتأخري في مرة وعيلب بوابي شوفك وتجوزي Hilarious song there. I don't know what to say. It's by uh, a woman whose name is Luca, L-U-K-A. She's from Egypt. The song is called Bashrab Hashish, which I'm just going to say it translates as I smoke pot. And uh, it's taken from uh, an album called El Khayt Wal Hayt. Now, it's actually that album is a soundtrack to a movie called Al Khayt Wal Hayt, The Thread and the Wall. That is the translation of the Egyptian film. Uh, from which the song you just heard was uh, featured. And uh, the film, of course, was directed by uh, Egyptian director Muhammad Khalid. Before that, ladies and gentlemen, that beautiful, beautiful song you heard was called Sa'at Sa'at. And that is a classic made, I think, famous by a, a Lebanese singer whose name was was uh, Sabah. Basically, her music still lives on thanks to the Badrawis and Hisham Watani. Now, let me tell you about the Badrawis and Hisham Watani in addition to releasing this song Sa'at Sa'at in their own style. They also write music of their own and they really, really should be checked out. They are amazing. Let me tell you who they are. The Badrawis are actually Mahmoud Badrawi, who is a composer and a singer who loves to play acoustic guitar. He writes music in general. He loves rock music in which he feels uh, very uh, at ease in terms of expressing his emotions. He writes and uh, and composes original songs, but the idea that he's been toying with lately and recently is the revival of Arabic music, like the song you just heard by Sabah and songs by Abdel Halim. And uh, he's, he's doing that because he'd like uh, the new generation of Arab youth to grow up knowing what these songs are, but in a way that they can find it uh, more acceptable and accessible. Now, the other Badrawi is Angie Badrawi, and that is Mahmoud's sister. Now, she is an artist in her own right. And, um, well, Mahmoud says that his sister is the only one who truly understands his love for singing. So, there you go. These siblings are uh, supporting each other. And um, so, together, they were joined on the song Sa'at Sa'at by Hisham Watani, who is a an amazing music producer from Egypt, and uh, the three of them are the Badrawis and Hisham Watani. The song was called Sa'at Sa'at, and that was the beginning of the, well, I'm going to call it the Egyptian leg of our journey. Ladies and gentlemen, it is 1.53 p.m. right here at KZSU Stanford, 19.1 FM. In a moment, I'm going to be playing an interview with... Uh, 
Najib Joe Hakim. If you haven't heard of him, you want to stick around. He's an amazing photographer. The man just was born to take gorgeous photographs. He has an exhibit going on in uh, San Mateo. We'll be speaking about the subject of the exhibit, which is very Arabic-related, and uh, the times where you can uh, visit the exhibit if you wish. But speaking of exhibits and speaking of photography, let me tell you about another one before I go to the interview, and that's uh, an exhibit going on right here at Stanford at the Cantor Art. Arts Center. It's called She Who Tells a Story, Women Photographers from Iran and the Arab World. Twelve contemporary artists dynamically explore identity, narrative, and war in daily life. This is a major new exhibition at the Cantor, and it presents the pioneering work of 12 leading women photographers from the Middle East, let me say more specifically from Iran and the Arab world. The exhibition was organized by the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston and is uh, and has been running at the Cantor since January 2018. The photographers you will see are all women, as I said, and they are Janan Elani, Bushra, Al Mutawakkel, Gohar, Dashti, Rana Nimr, Lala Esaidi, Shadi Ghadirian, Tanya Habjuka, Rula Halawani, Nermin Hamam, Rania Matar, Shirin Neshat, and Nusha Tavakolian. Now, I'm sure I may have ruined uh, the pronunciation of some of these amazing women's names. If so, I apologize. But either way, go look at the exhibit. Go live that exhibit. It's called Rawia in Arabic. And in English, it's She Who Tells a Story. Running at the Cantor Art Center right here at Stanford through May 4th. I have seen it. And truly, it was one of the most amazing collection of photographs and artwork that I have seen and what adds to the courageous nature of the works is the fact that it was made by Arab and, and women from Iran who um, are not uh, sort of having the easiest life and they found art to be an amazing way to express themselves and um, sort of very hopeful about a better tomorrow as well as very powerful about the challenges that they're meeting today. Ladies and gentlemen, it is coming up to uh, 4 p.m. right here at KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. As, as I promised you, I'm going to turn to my interview with Najib Joe Hakim, whose exhibit is going on right now in San Mateo, and it's called Little Palestine by the Bay. Let's hear what he, that amazing photographer, had to say. This is KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. I am honored today to be sitting here at the KZSU studios with Najib Joe Hakim, who is one of the most talented photographers I have seen in my life. He has an exhibition going on that highlights the uh, daily existence and the memories of uh, Palestinian Americans. He is a Palestinian American photographer himself, an artist in his own right. May I say marhaba and ahlan wa sahlan, Najib. Thanks, Ramzi. Glad to be here. Well, we're very glad to be to have you here on the Arabology Show. Uh, Najib, let me jump right 
it into the exhibit that everybody's talking about. Uh, what is this exhibit? Can you put it in your own words? Yeah, it, uh, the exhibit is called Home Away From Home, Little Palestine by the Bay. And I uh, went around the, the whole Bay Area doing oral interviews and black and white portraits of Palestinian Americans, asking them questions about how they maintain their ties to Palestine. The uh, interviews were recorded, and uh, they will be, at least abridged portions of it, will be hearable while you're at the exhibit, looking at the pictures of, of the, the portraits of the people. And the whole idea of it was that I didn't want people to just have to read a caption. I felt that if you can actually hear the person's voice telling their story while looking into the picture of their eyes, the connection is much closer, more profound. The reaction so far seems to be that's working very well for people. Um, how difficult was it for you to quote-unquote stage the subject within an environment? Since I was using film and medium format film, which is a big lunky camera, spontaneity was minimized, but I also wanted it to be relaxed and personal. So what I did, I did the interviews first, got to know the people, let them get to know me, because I acted as, as though I was being interviewed as well. I, you know, it was like a meeting at a cafe, talking to people as opposed to a formal interview. And I thought that really worked really well. The, the bond between us worked, and they also gave me time to look at the environment, see the lights, see the possibilities, and and see how the people react. Um, there was one person had some dogs, and so I took some pictures of him with his dogs. Mm -hmm. And they came out really well, but that wasn't the picture that made it into the show. So, uh, to, just to make it clear to everybody who's listening now, this is not just a show where you can see uh, Najib Joe Hakim's incredible photos of these Palestinians in different ages and different colors and different, mm -hmm. you know, very diverse, but also there is an, uh, an audio element to it. Is this something you had planned all along to add an audio component? Is this something you do often or was this the first time you delve into that kind of uh, vi audiovisual experience? Uh, it was definitely the first time. I was pushing my boundaries, uh, crossing my limits, my abilities, and it was a challenge. It was doable. Uh, I thought doing interviews and pictures is too complicated for me, but I challenged myself, and it worked out well. Um, was it difficult to have them open up about the subject? Not really. Uh, people, these people were very enthusiastic to talk. They seemed to very rarely have a pair of ears hoping and willing to listen to their story in this country. How much of your own experience informs your work when you're doing such an exhibit? When my family moved to the United States, it was the mid-50s. I was a year and a half old. And we lived in New York City, and there were practically no Arabs in the country, or at least in the area we were in. If we wanted to get Arabic food, we needed to go to a Greek deli or something to find, mm -hmm. you know, feta cheese and pine nuts and pita bread and things like that. The, the situation of the Palestinians since after the 67 war, and especially the war in Lebanon, so many more came to this country after that. And now... There's a critical mass of Arabs and Palestinians all over this country. You mm -hmm. can find mosques. You can find tons of Arabic 
uh, restaurants, grocery stores. And but, I should, uh, we should add churches, too. And churches, yeah. too, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, when I was listening to the people talk, it really amazed me because I was relating to a lot of their experience, you know, like their parents would only speak English with them, and they had to learn Arabic later. Or, but a lot of them actually did speak Arabic, so there was a, a variety of experiences. Um, a lot of people felt shy about being Arab or Palestinian. They'd always say they were Italian or Spanish or whatever. But now that they're older, they understand the importance of recognizing or identifying properly who they are. And I've went through that myself. I did not even know I was Palestinian growing up. I thought I I was Lebanese. Uh, I was born in Lebanon. Most of my family's relatives were in Beirut, so we went to visit in Beirut. And it wasn't until, I don't know, maybe early college I started to put two and two together because I remembered stories my dad told me about riding his bicycle in Jaffa. Where and he, I looked where on he a map, was born. Where uh, he was born. Yeah. And uh, I looked on a map and Jaffa's not in Lebanon. I asked him about it and suddenly I'm becoming aware that, wait a minute, we're Palestinian. And this was early, mid-70s. It became a, a big hornet's nest of what does it mean to be a Palestinian? My dad was in Jaffa, I was born in Jaffa, and my mother in Haifa. And to still have relatives throughout the northern and southern part of the country. When did they leave? In 48. In 48. Yeah, and so they went, most they went to Lebanon? Yeah. So have you yourself ever been back to Jaffa? Yeah. I After college, I went to Jerusalem for a year and a half to study. Oh, wow. To improve my Arabic and learn a little Hebrew. And I traveled the country, hitchhiking, trains, buses, name it. Wow. And I got to see the whole country, which is a lot harder to do these days <laughs> right, right. between the checkpoints on the wall and everything. But in those days, it was, this is uh, late 70s and early 80s. Um, it was much more open. I used to hike from Jerusalem all the way down to Jericho through the Wadi Kilt mm-hmm. and uh, walk to Bethlehem, which was six miles away from Jerusalem. No. You can't do that anymore. No. And, and you were doing that as an American citizen, sort of visiting? Um, yeah. 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 But um, when I applied to go there, I was very clear about who I was and what I wanted to do. I said I was the son of Palestinian refugees, and I wanted to go back to the country and see for myself what's going on. I was applying it to the Hebrew universities, like student abroad program. And uh, they accepted that premise at the time. I don't think that would work today. Now, let's talk about the exhibit. Where is it going on? In San Mateo for the Rebuilding Alliance, which is a nonprofit that's trying to bring in educational supplies to the children of Gaza. It will be up until March 8th, and there's going to be a closing reception on that date. You can look up Rebuilding Alliance at rebuildingalliance.org, and they have a Facebook page that has a link to the Evite as well. So uh, is the exhibit open all day, or how how does this work? I believe it's in the afternoons, 2 to 6, 7 days a week. Confirm that on the Facebook page. All that information is there. Absolutely, or the website, which is Mm -hmm. rebuildingalliance.org. Okay, so the best way to contact you, uh, I believe, is through your Facebook page? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. So, so if they send you a Facebook request, you'll know. That. Yeah. Okay. Just, just use my name, Najib Joe Hakim. Mumtaz. And so we're talking about Facebook.com slash Najib, N-A-J-I-B, J-O-E for Joe, dot 
Hakim, spelled H-A-K-I-M. Are you present there um, every day, Najib? I know you're a very busy man. Uh, no, I, I will be there for the opening and closing receptions. And those, again, the dates were March 8th? That's the closing. The closing. It, it opened uh, February 12th. Absolutely. Now, I'm looking here uh, online, Najib, and I see under socialdocumentary.net, there seems to be uh, uh, a link right there. Once I did a search for your name, Home Away From Home, Little Palestine by the Bay. I'm the 
أمر بالسماء يدور صيف السنين طرنا الأمر عصتو حسهر لا يطل وهدينا عقارب الساعة خيفين الوقت ليف الما في قوي بهدني بتأخر حلوب الريح شعرك والكرز واللوز بأول ما وصلت الويح يا صفير السهل الجاي تبشر بشتيت الشرين جوهو أسامي ببالي حدا يذكرني لمين الدنيا حلقة وعم بتدور والأمر بالسماء يدور انت حولي وأنا حولك في شي جازبنا ومندور الصيف انتهى ما انت لتشي بزعل ليش زعلان عشا اتباع زميهن على الموجة عشت نعزم عمتلي صوت الجرس مدري أطرح صبيعك عكتفي عم يحراني منيان يمكن لو تبسلي المطرح تهدى وجاي وبتنام صيف السن انتهى بسرعة وحمرت أحراش الغار والمرة اللي شعر أحمر مثل انشعلاني بالنار لبداية ولا نهاية والوقت مارق غريب وأنا بتسكت بمروح ببالك وبروح من بدو يداوي I'm not going 
Ladies and gentlemen, does she not have an amazing voice? Her name is Maya Hubeika. And uh, I guess we could say Maya Hubeika, or I don't know how you could pronounce it in several ways in English. The last name is H-O-B-E-I-K-A. Her first name is Maya. She's an amazing Lebanese soprano who released this album titled Wed that has received glorious reviews. Not only for her voice, but also for her, the way she performs. She's amazing. She has uh, performed on many stages worldwide. Uh, Maya's performed classical Eastern repertoires by the uh, Rahbani brothers, especially Ziad Rahbani and Ziad Rahbani, Muhammad Abdel Wahab, and others. She's pursuing her oud studies at the National Lebanese Conservatory, and she's now in her sixth year. She's had several concerts in Beirut theaters like Al Medina and the Mono Theater and lately in Beirut's prestigious Villa Rose and uh, her voice is categorized as lyric soprano and uh, she is in continuous search for a new style that encompasses both her experience in Western classical as well as Arabic classical music. There we go for more information mayahoveika.com and she comes from Lebanon. Before her an equally strong voice now. Did you recognize the song? It was Windmills of My Mind in Arabic. And uh, the title was in French. So there you go. The title in French is Les Moulins de Mon Coeur, which is, of course, a song we know here in the U.S. as uh, Windmills of My Mind by Dusty Springfield. Well, who was singing the Arabic versions, you may wonder? It was Hiba 
Tawaji from Lebanon. Now, this amazing singer, of course, is known in Lebanon, but really isn't very well known internationally until very recently because she was a contestant on the French version of the TV show The Voice. And if you've seen that show, you know there's like these judges who listen to uh, to the contestants sing but don't see them. But then if they're impressed by the voice they hear, they cl- they press a button and the chair turns around and then basically if they get like a majority of the votes of the judges, then that contestant wins and uh, goes into the competition. Well, Hiba Tawaji uh, actually did that. She uh, went and auditioned for the show. And once they heard her sing the Arabic version of uh, Les Moulins de Mon Coeur, uh, all the judges uh, clicked on their buttons. The chairs turned around. There was a lot of fanfare. And boy, they discovered Hiba Tawaji right there. A beautiful voice. She sings equally well in Arabic and in French. And something tells me the future is very rosy for this amazing young singer from Lebanon. Ladies and gentlemen, we began the set with a very special instrumental. And here I must say a big merhaba. And not marhaba. I'm trying to be Turkish here. And uh, and say merhaba to Ahmed Baglama, who sent us this amazing instrumental. It's called Baglama, and uh, his name is Ahmed Baglama from Turkey. Let me uh, see what I can tell you about him. He is a leader of a band or a group called Mizrap. M- I-Z-R-A-P as well as Baglama, Sitar, Buzuki he's a musician he's he's just amazing uh, so uh, if you know Turkish you could uh, <laughs> you could find out a lot more about this uh, young man but I'm giving you the basics and I should say Tashakur to Ahmed Baglama I'm, I'm sure I'm ruining his name uh, for sending us that tune which carries his last name I guess Baglama was really soothing and that began the set right here on the Arabology Show, coming to you from KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. It is 2.20 p.m. I am your DJ Ramsey. And when we return after this short break, you will be hearing from the Jordanian Oprah Winfrey. What do I mean by that? Stay tuned. I'll let you know. Since 1985, Project Open Hand has been providing home-delivered meals, groceries and nutrition counsel to people living with AIDS and other serious illnesses in San Francisco and Alameda County. Their slogan is, Meals with Love, and they invite you to become a member of the Project Open Hand family by volunteering or supporting their efforts. To find out more, visit openhand.org. That's openhand.org. Ladies and gentlemen, it is uh, 2.22 p.m. right here at KZSU Stanford. The show is Arabology, and as I promised you, I'm going to bring you an interview with an amazing young woman whose name is Jude Jouehan. This is She's known already at the, at the young age of 20 as the Jordanian Oprah Winfrey. She has a talk show called The Jude Show, and I've heard so many good things about that show, and I had the privilege of interviewing Jude. Now, she's from Jordan, born 
and raised in Jordan, and she is currently studying in England. So I interviewed her whilst she was in England uh, about her Jordanian upbringing and, of course, about the Jude Show, which is bringing together topics and discussing topics uh, that are often taboo in uh, Arab societies. So uh, my uh, hats off to Jude for doing a great, great job. Let's kick back and listen to what Jude Jouhan had to say. Jude, welcome to Arabology. Thank you. Hello, everyone. And hi, Rosie. Thank you very much. It's really nice to hear from you. For those people who don't know, what is the Jude Show? Okay. Um, well, I'll start off by saying hello to everyone. And I'd just like to say that um, right now I'm a 20-year-old student. I'm sitting in the UK, but I'm originally Jordanian. So I was born and raised in Jordan my whole life. I'm doing communications and media studies. So throughout my studies, I was interested in um, the media. And then I moved on to being interested in talk shows and the world of, you know, television and all those things. My whole life, I was highly interested with talk shows, especially like the Oprah show, the Ellen show and other shows as well. Um, I just love how they inspire people. You know, they're all about like making change and inspiring people to do different things with their lives and motivating them. So as a student, because I was studying abroad as an international student and I was on my own, I was struggling and I was going through a lot of things. And and um, the only thing that inspired me every day was watching the show, uh, the Oprah show. And as I watched the show and all the videos on YouTube, I felt like, how nice would that be to speak up and to talk to people my age and inspire them if any of them are struggling, if there are any issues that you know they'd like to talk about. And at the same time, given that I'm an Arab and coming from the Arab world and living in the UK, whenever I speak to anyone, they're like, oh, are you American? Maybe, like, sometimes, depending on my accent, they're like, not American. They're like, oh, wait, wait, where are you from? So it, it takes them a long time to guess where I'm from. And then when I say from the Middle East, everyone's just, like, completely shocked. So they're like, you're an Arab. I'm like, yes. And then they're like, um, tell us more about, like, you know, Jordan and your country. And then this whole idea struck me about, like, why not just reach out to people, not only like Middle Eastern people, but also like international people and talk about the Arab world, you know, the people there, how we have amazing people, you know, just to try and break the stereotypes of a lot of things, especially like starting with the idea of making the show in English. Like I was asked a lot, like, why is the show in English? What people don't get is to communicate with the outer world and to, you know, like, let's say, deliver a message and speak up and, you know, to prove a point learn other languages, you know, allow yourself to explore those worlds and help them see your world. If you're not going to work on, you know, just delivering a message or reaching out to people, they're never going to know what you're trying to prove to them. The episodes that I cover basically in the show, um, they vary. So they, they're like interviews with successful people covering successful stories, or it's also covering like other cultural um, topics or ideas. And each episode, like some of the episodes are controversial, other are like political, some are like, you know, just normal, like teenage topics. So I cover different topics just to show um, what Jordan's like and the people of Jordan, you know, so it's just, honestly, it's just a variety of different things, but it, it is like a talk show. But for now, it's just a YouTube show where I just interview people and I cover different topics and so it's just literally just the start of an idea of a show that I really you know felt like doing. And um, I started the show and now, you know, it's just getting better and better day by day. And I'm still learning, to be honest. It's not like, oh, it's like an amazing. <laughs> well, it is pretty amazing. I mean, I, and I, I want to say this for people who haven't seen it. The cinema, the way it is shot is very professional. It is quite engaging. And uh, speaking of the Arabic English dynamic there, I, we should mention that your shows are actually subtitled in Arabic. So I. 
intentionally made it with subtitles. And at the same time, I would love for people to know that whenever I interview a person, I ask the person first which language would he or she like to speak in. So, and a really good example is like the mayor of Amman in Jordan, the mayor himself, when I interviewed him, I asked him before the interview had started, I was like, do you want to speak in English or in Arabic? And he himself said in English. He said the idea is to show people that we can speak in English. You know, right. we're not what people think. So you have interviewed people in Arabic too? Yeah, yeah, I have a few episodes in Arabic where some people still felt uncomfortable or they said, like, you know, I'm not that well in English. I don't want to embarrass myself. So I was like, don't worry, it's subtitled. But um, I intentionally obviously added English subtitles just, you know, just in case because we have international viewers, they have actually watched those episodes and they do end up, you know, understanding because, you know, they can read the subtitles. Uh, the Jucho is currently in its second season. On YouTube, if you open the page and you notice, um, there's a season, there's season one where it's basically compo- it's composed of um, interviews. But then there's another category which I call um, special videos and this category is basically when I cover random um, ideas and topics so for example this summer in Jordan what we did was we went to a, let's just say a less developed area where um, people like underprivileged people were living in and we rebuilt a whole house during the month of Ramadan and wow. we rebuilt the house we got the whole family presence you know and I made an episode where it was more of an awareness episode about the cases of you know those families and how you know to those people who can afford helping them why not do so and for example last year on Valentine's we released a video that was more meaningful than just we weren't just talking about love when it comes to relationships we were talking about how helping others on Valentine's and um, I have two categories so far one which is composed of episodes which is called season one and then another one which some people think it's a second season but it's more of like just a different episode where uh, sorry a different category which is just about like covering different you know topics and ideas other than the episodes but um, hopefully soon we're going to end season one I'm going to release a finale episode I, I really want the whole work to be professional and you know to look professional as well just like you said so um yeah it requires money and right now we're just looking for sponsors so by sponsors i mean are you also open to the idea of getting the show on one of the arabic tv networks or frankly it's in english it's in english and the subtitle on any tv network i don't know if it's easy to do that in the middle east let's just say or even jordan because the idea of having an english show is not that easily acceptable obviously my ambitions and my aspirations right now is to have my own show on TV, but I don't know how that'll happen. I mean, I'm applying right now for master's. This is the plan. And um, I'm studying, hopefully, next year I'll be doing um, television and broadcasting journalism. And maybe from there, that'll just help me, you know, to enter that world probably easily. I'm looking at some of the interviews here and uh, I was wondering if you could maybe give me a little bit of uh, a commentary on some of the amazing people that you have uh, interviewed so far, uh, like Dr. Zaid Al-Kilani. Okay, well, Dr. Zaid Kilani, he's an amazing doctor. Um, he's well known in Jordan. In the summer of, let's just say, 2013, um, he owns a hospital, uh, Farah Hospital, and what happened was there was a fire in his hospital in a new extension that he was building. And I literally, what I did was, I was working on my show, and I literally felt the need to, like, just interview this person, this person that everyone's been talking about. Like, he's an amazing guy, he struggled, because when he first came up with the idea of test tubes, um, t- test tube babies, people thought he was crazy. You know, people were like, oh, he's, you know, he's... Um, And he's going against, you know, let's just say um, religious ideas and who does he think he is. And, you know, there was like, let's just say it was controversial and there was there were a lot of speculations. So I just felt like I would love to sit and talk to this, you know, this man. Um, we set an interview, we filmed in his office and he spoke about the whole thing. He was honest. He talked about the fire. He talked about the struggles he went through when he was young. But yeah, that's why I felt like I wanted to interview Dr. Zay. 
I work for it and absolutely absolutely and for a list of the other amazing guests you have uh, interviewed thus far I uh, would suggest listeners go to your YouTube channel that's the you the Jude show on YouTube and uh, sort of peruse the amazing and colorful personalities that you have interviewed as well as some of the special videos that concentrate on a certain topic as seen in Jordan vis-a-vis the West etc my next question is a little bit about censorship. Perhaps it's easier for you to speak about controversial topics because it's an internet show, whereas if it was a traditional TV station that was airing this, they may not be as comfortable or they might attempt to censor of what you have to say. Do you feel that you have to sometimes censor topics, censor speakers in some way so as not to offend viewers, etc.? It depends. I, I must admit, obviously being online, it makes it much easier than being on TV. Because if I was on TV and I spoke about most of what I have, they would shoot me. And I'd be locked up by now, maybe. <laughs> and even after releasing some of those few episodes, um, a lot of people like, they're like, oh, you need to, you know, you need to watch out. You can't just say these things. Um, and I can say one thing, honestly. I never curse. I never say something, something wrong on my show. But I have one motto, or let's just say one principle that I follow, which is people want to know and they want to hear what's original and what's real and what's true and what's happening in the world. We all know the media fabricates, the media lies, and what I'm trying to do, I don't want to have a lie. So when it comes to censoring, there's, let's just say one episode, um, I'm pretty sure you've heard of that episode. I interviewed um, Cali, the, the owner and the founder of My Cali Magazine. Oh. My Cali Magazine is a magazine that covers LGBT, um, LGBT um, let's just say, like gay-related topics and um and it's, and it's uh, from jordan right this, this he, yeah, it's from yeah, jordan and uh cali is jordanian and he's gay himself when he came up with the magazine at first um there was a lot of controversy you know and people were went crazy and mental like how can he do this how does he even have the confidence he was contacted by a lot of um let's just say news reporters and tv channels and he refused to interview any of them and i must say it is controversial obviously religiously because i'm a muslim um and i'm an arab i must say and i and i've said this before and i say this now just for anyone who's listening to me today um religiously i do agree that you know it's unacceptable and it's not a right thing to talk about but something else that i live by is i do accept that we are all different and i'm not the person to judge him you know god will judge him and we have the right to live our lives our own way so at the end of the day who are we to bully him or hurt him which is what he went through that's why you know that's also what the episode's about he he had to go through a lot of struggles and then eventually he used that oppression and he created his magazine which has succeeded really strongly and then after i've released my episode i was shocked myself but there wasn't that much a lot of controversy to be honest um and in fact i received a lot of emails from a lot of people thanking me and saying you know we're happy that you released this because you know not a lot of people speak up about this although you know it might be you know controversial and contradicting but it's good that you know we at least we have someone is willing to talk about this because there are a lot of gay people hiding in our societies in our communities there are a lot of gay people it's good for people to hear that someone in their societies like them what he had to go through how he dealt with it am i right that the comments for the uh interview with the mike Cali, the young man who created mike Cali, which is an online jordanian magazine dealing with lgbt issues are, are the comments censored i mean you just disabled the comments for the video yeah, only for yeah for this episode to be honest and for the um the mayor of amman i um i allowed for like likes and dislikes but i removed the comments because 
Like when it comes to like Cali, he's the first person to speak up about this in Jordan. And I honestly did not want him to be attacked or I didn't want, you know, a whole discussion and a fight to take place because it's still new and fresh. And I don't want for hatred to take place and I don't want him to be attacked because he had the confidence to speak up and he trusted the show. And he trusted the work. And, and uh, honestly speaking, he did not even ask for me to do, you know, to, to, to stop or prevent the comments from mm-hmm. taking place. But I did that, you know, just out of respect for him. And, you know, for now, just because I don't want to push it. Just to be the devil's advocate here a little, uh, Jude, uh, in a way, I mean, you silence the comments from uh, maybe homophobic people and people who aren't ready to hear this and who may have spewed some hatred that uh, this young man definitely doesn't need. But at the same time, haven't you also silence people who want to share their story publicly and their reaction to the video people who yeah, no, 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 they uh, have because on my uh, Facebook positively. because I have a Facebook page and I've released the episode there and whoever comments there I never stop them so I've allowed comments over there and obviously they're free That's to comment nice. on Instagram on Twitter on um, let's just say Facebook or anywhere but because I was talking about an Arab um, you know let's just say individual coming from the you know Arab world and because I knew this episode was going, was going to be watched you know in different places I just felt as a start it might not be comfortable to fully you know attack maybe just give it time it's not like I'm a professor or I'm a doctor or I'm a politician I'm still literally a student I'm fresh I'm new to this so I don't want to enter any debates where I can't even argue proper I mean I'm happy with sharing you know their stories and you know the idea because I know there are a lot of you know politicians and gay people who'd love to hear this but for now I don't have the will to argue or you know not the will sorry but I don't have let's just say the the capacity or um, you know the awareness do you feel that perhaps the visibility you've given this courageous young man has in some way endangered him I don't think so because he was like Khalid and his story was uh, people were already aware about his story for a while now so it's not like something new it's been there for years and like I said it has been talked about a lot so I, I don't know why I just felt the need that instead of judging him why not hear his story because Khalid normally does not appear on TV or on videos he tries to avoid that because he believes you know what he's doing right now is just focused for gay people you know he that's what he felt at first but then he as as he gained the confidence to do so he felt like why not yeah you know I'd love to speak up you know I'd like for people to know what the magazine's like I'd like to reach out to gay people as well uh, the uh, the magazine we should say to our listeners my Cali let everybody know that this magazine is one it's online and number two it's in English the difference difference between that and the amazing interview you conducted is that the interview is subtitled in Arabic. So there, some of those people who may have dismissed the online magazine as perhaps a Western tool or, you know, not of interest to them, suddenly the subject is hitting home because they're reading right there what this young man has to say. When it came to Khaled, I asked him at first, I was like, listen, no pressure. If you don't want to do this, it's fine. But he was actually more excited. He's like, I love the idea of the show. The only thing that he asked to avoid about was... Um, talking about his family. Sorry, yeah, he didn't really want to talk about the struggle or what happened. And even me, till today, I don't really know the story. But, I mean, I owed him that respect. I was like, fine, you know, fair enough. You know, at least, you know, he's speaking up and he's talking about his story courageously, but I cannot pressure him to talk about anything else. But no, he was, he honestly was fine with all the questions that I asked. And I tried to be respectful, you know, because it's, because I'm probably the first person to handle this topic publicly this way, I didn't want to push it as well. So, um, I don't know, maybe in future, if I meet 
him again, maybe we'll be more comfortable to discuss other things. But as a new topic addressed publicly, I do not have the right to discuss it any differently. Because like I said, in an Islamic community and in an Islamic culture, I'm a Muslim and I do agree and I understand that it's unacceptable. So sometimes you really cannot push certain topics, you know. So it was just a random, you know, general curiosity for the public to know him, to meet him. In contrast, I have to tell you that the way that episode, the My Cali magazine editor episode, has been uh, viewed here, has been with applause. Human rights uh, groups here at the Stanford University campus have rallied around you for giving this young man a position of enunciation so that he can speak freely. Yeah. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I mean, it's really nice to hear these things. And speaking about, you know, applauding, I received a few emails that from a lot of people saying, you know what, you just helped us change the way we look at gay people. Right. And that right. put tears right. into my eyes because yeah. I was happy to hear that. And the emails that I received were from religious people. They're like, I must say I'm a religious person, but now I agree and I accept the fact that we need to accept differences. You know, it's his life and, you know, it's his decision. But that does not mean that we shouldn't respect those people. That's why that's my only idea. You know, I'm not saying, oh, everyone go out and be gay. That's not the idea. <laughs> I don't care what we want to do with it. It's just like, you know, right. just worry about yourself for now and yeah. stop pointing fingers, point at yourself, fix yourself. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot about you that people don't like, but, you know, people accept. So it's just about giving those people the opportunity and the chance to live and stop bullying them because, you know, they're humans just like you at the end of the day. That's the only idea. But when it comes to religion and, you know, getting into this topic in depth, I honestly try to avoid it because, you know, I just can't go there. It's a bit, you know, that is controversial and it's too much. Uh, Jude, before I let you go, can you tell us a little bit about your website, your uh, where can we find your videos? You mentioned the Fed. Facebook page and also if you welcome any comments do you have an email or any contact info that you'd like to share with our listeners yes of course um, well the name of the, uh, the show is the Jude show I'm Jude my name is Jude um, and you can find the show on Facebook Twitter Instagram and there's a YouTube page that you can you know go and subscribe please do and that's where you can you know hear about our episodes and you know watch our videos when you look at our Facebook page or any of our social media sites you can see my email there or the show's email where you can contact me freely and honestly I'd love it if you'd like to contact me and I always I always reply back my email is jude j-u-d-e dot j-w-e-i-h-a-n 11 at gmail.com or the jude show 11 at gmail.com
first track there by, uh, well, uh, an opera singer, of course, is, is amazing. His name is Ashraf Swaydem. He comes from Egypt. And um, that uh, sad song you heard was uh, called Tul Omri, All of My Life. And uh, it's actually on the soundtrack to a film called Tul Omri, a film that was released uh, many years ago and that was extremely controversial because I believe it was the first Arab film to be released that deals with LGBT issues in Egypt and the Arab world. The film was uh, directed by Maher Sabri and uh, included some very poignant and uh, powerful scenes about the treatment of uh, especially gay men in Egypt uh, following an incident called the Queen Boat Incident in which um, uh, dozens of gay men were arrested in Cairo after taking a cruise down the Nile on a boat called the Queen Boat. They were all arrested and uh, some of them disappeared and some of them uh, uh, claimed to be tortured and, and other things. So the movie that was made at the time, Tul Omri, uh, was a very courageous one indeed because he spoke about this and if you've been following the news, I'm sure you've seen off late some more arrests going on uh, all around the Arab world, not just in Egypt. And uh, that certainly may point to the necessity of uh, resuscitating <laughs> Tul Omri and, uh, and those kinds of uh, uh, films that attempt to fight for human rights and equality for all. And before that, ladies and gentlemen, I was uh, so happy to, uh, to include my interview with Jude Jouehan. What did you think of her? Was she not one of the most dynamic guests ever. It was such a pleasure to interview her. I'm loosely calling her the Jordanian Oprah. Uh, that's because she is the hostess of the Jude Show. You can find the Jude Show, their episodes on uh, YouTube. She also has you know, her own Facebook page, etc. Not bad for a 20-year-old Jordanian young woman who's doing amazing things with her life. Uh, the Jude Show is in English uh, with Arabic subtitles. And if it sometimes is in Arabic, then it will have English subtitles. So uh, people who speak English and or Arabic will enjoy the show. And of course, you heard her sort of speak about a controversial episode that she um, aired. And it was uh, with a young man whose name is Khalid. That's just he goes by one name. And he spoke about uh, many issues that uh, uh, speak to the plight of marginalized sexualities in the Arab world. So if you're interested in that interview, you could always find that interview as well as many more on the Jucho YouTube page. He's also interviewed the mayor of Amman, Jordan, and many, many other people. So definitely check it out. And Jude, once again, shukran, merci, and thank you for that amazing interview. I'm going to move on with the music and I'm going to kind of go experimental a little bit with you. Well, it's a project called Khan Ru. The song we're going to hear is called Ya. Wela. And uh, let's see, the guy who is <laughs> Khan Ruh, well, there's not too much biographical info about him, so I'll tell you, his name is Ubayi Sharani, and he was kind enough to uh, introduce us to his amazing music there of Khan Ruh. He started this project as a room project in Damascus, Syria, and he says that it's a combination of uh, trip-hop music with oriental sampling. So what do you think? Shall we check that out together right here on the Arabology Show? 
song there ladies and gentlemen by uh, Amal Mathluthi from the album Kilmiti Hurra this was a song called the Volim which uh, translates as Tyrant she comes from Tunisia she is amazing as, as you could see her voice was almost operatic but then different at the same time shukran to Amal Mathluthi for always creating such amazing music and representing Tunisia I'm going to leave you in one last track that I hope will exempt the show, the spirit of this show, and uh, hopefully the spirit of a new Middle East that will emerge in peace and tolerance. We're going to hear the Islamic call to prayer mixed in with the Ave Maria. Thanks to Lebanese singer Tanya Qassis, who has uh, created the Islamo-Christian 
Ave. Here she is. And I'll say goodbye to everybody. See you next week on the Arabology Show. Mm-hmm.